The limits of the possible can only be defined by going beyond them into the impossible. That is a quote by author C. Clark. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to episode 119. The topic of this week's episode is From Burnout to Recovery. My guest this week is Michael Levitt. Michael is the founder and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, a San Diego and Toronto-based burnout media firm. He is an in-person and certified virtual speaker, a certified NLP and CBT therapist, a Fortune 500 consultant, best-selling author, and host the Breakfast Leadership Show, a top 200 podcast on iTunes. Michael's a top 20 global thought leader on culture with Thinkers 360 and a former healthcare executive overseeing $2 billion budgets. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Trina Talk. Great to be with you today, Trina. I'm looking forward to our conversation because... I like your title, Chief Burnout Officer. Thank I have you. to say, yep. I I have been there, and I think I still periodically go into that. How did you come up with that? When I started working in the burnout space after you know recovering from my own personal burnout journey several years ago, and I launched my organization, of course, my title is CEO. And I thought, you know, I needed something different. And when you start studying marketing uh, as much as I did, uh, because my original career way back when was accounting and we made fun of marketing people and we never paid attention to any marketing, which I completely regret. So if there's any accountants listening to this right now, please take some marketing courses. You're going to need them at some point in your life. But long story short, I was coming up with different things. So what can I call myself as uh, its chief executive officer? Let me come up with a, a name. And I started looking at different types of names that around, you know, for officers within organizions. And, you know, I, I've never seen chief burnout officer. So I thought, you know what, that makes sense. And so that's the title I gave myself. My hope is that some organizations will steal that title and, and hire somebody in their organization to make sure that their organization doesn't burn out either. Mm. Now you have a very interesting story. The reason why you came up with that title. Why don't you tell the listeners um, your reason behind it? Sure. Uh, Back in 2007, I was hired as a healthcare executive for a startup health organization just outside of Windsor, Ontario, across the border from Detroit, uh, as I alluded to in our, our pre-show. I'm a dual citizen, uh, born in the Detroit area and immigrated to Canada in 2004, and took this new role 
which was literally five minutes from my house, which was amazing uh, as a startup healthcare executive. Now, what was funny was I had a lot of startup experience, but I had zero healthcare experience. I didn't know anything about healthcare other than being a user of the system occasionally. So there was a big learning curve for me in recruiting physicians, hiring medical staff, you know, handling medical supply orders, and just navigating everything that you need to navigate when you're running a healthcare clinic. But you know, I, I, I was in the field for you know, over a decade, so I, I figured it out eventually. But back then, you know, from 2007 to 2009, I was working some absolutely insane hours. Uh, I was from basically 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. I was checking emails and sending emails. And the challenge with that is when you are working that many hours and you don't take breaks in between, and I mean, I mean real deep breaks, it takes a toll on you. And it did for me, although I ignored the signs. And there were plenty of signs uh, that I was going down a very, very troublesome path. So fast forward to 2009 in the spring in early May, uh, or actually middle May of 2009. It was a Monday night, and I was mowing my lawn and after work, and I had an electric lawnmower because we had a small lawn, and gas prices were pretty expensive at that point. So the problem, though, with this mower was it was really heavy and really bulky to turn. So I mowed the front, and I was turning the lawnmower to mow another row of the lawn, and I felt this really sharp pain in the center of my chest. I thought I pulled a muscle, and it really hurt. And to the point that I couldn't finish mowing the lawn. I was able to get the lawnmower in the backyard. And then went inside and I took some pain medication. And the pain subsided, but I noticed anytime I lifted anything with my right arm, that pain would come back. It was a dull pain. It wasn't really bad, but it just hurt. And you know, thankfully, I'm left-handed. So I don't use my right arm to lift things very often. But anytime I did... You know, that pain would come back. And that proceeded over a few days. Uh, fast forward to Thursday night, I went out to dinner uh, at a local restaurant. And I had a coupon, which basically allowed you to eat all you could eat for some ridiculously low price. And I took them up on that challenge. And I just ate and ate and ate and ate. And it was your quintessential fried, greasy, very tasty, not good for you type of food. And I ate a lot more food than I normally ate. And then after you know, finishing up dinner and having dessert and all of that, went home, eventually went to bed. And about 1030 at night, I woke up from a deep sleep with this incredible pain in the center of my chest. And it felt like that pain earlier in the week, but it was at least 10 times worse. It felt like an elephant was stepping on my chest. And I blamed it on gas and indigestion from all of that food that I ate earlier made it to the washroom and took some Tums and was finally able to go to sleep. And Friday morning, I wake up and that pain was persistent. It wasn't going away. Uh, it was just that dull pain in the center of my chest. So I got in the office. I was working for about an hour. And finally, I stopped uh, our lead physician in the hallway. And I said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I you know, shared with him what had transpired that week. So he listened to my chest and he, he said, you know, I don't think there's really anything going on, but you know what? Let's just be safe. Let's hook you up to the EKG equipment 
and we'll run some tests and we'll see, you know, what's going on. It's okay. So I go back into the procedure room and our physician is there, our nurse and one of our assistants was there and they're all laughing hysterically because the boss is in there taking off all of his clothes in front of the coworkers. I was so embarrassed. I was beat red uh, and they're giggling and laughing, making all kinds of harassment jokes. You know, of course this is before me too and, and all the other kind of stuff, but you know, they were just having a blast with it. And I was completely embarrassed, not thinking anything else was going on. But after the laughing subsided, they finally said, okay, let's, let's get serious. Let's go ahead and get you hooked up, run these tests so you can get back to work and please put your clothes back on and, and all that. So I did, and they, they hook up the electrodes, and they run the test, and they look at the results, and they were perplexed. They looked at them, and they, hmm. So they said, you know what? We haven't used this equipment a lot, so let's we're going to run the test again. So we need to disconnect everything, put new leads on, and, and, and hook you up. So they did again, and they ran the test again. They got the exact same results. So they sent off the results to Dr. Gina at Hotel de Grace Hospital in Windsor, and after a few minutes, uh, he called the office and he said, tell Michael to get his butt in the hospital right now and he can't drive. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, what had happened was I had a pretty significant heart attack. Uh, I had two blockages in my left interior descending artery. And for those that are familiar with cardiology, that artery has a nickname of the widow maker because if you have blockages in that artery, and you have a heart attack, you typically die. That was in 2009. We're recording this in 2020. I didn't die. I'm still here. Um, when my cardiologist told me in the hospital in front of my mom and my former wife, which, you know, they both had to leave the room to cry their eyes out when he said this, he says, you are very fortunate to be here. You shouldn't be alive right now. And that, you know, he, he mentioned to me and I, I, you know, it, it didn't catch me off guard, but it was like, okay, all right, what do I need to do to stay alive? And, you know, they did the angiogram first to see if there was any blockages and they, they found them. And, and then of course they uh, put some stents in there to open things up. And a few days later I was at home and I was off of work for 17 weeks. Thankfully, I had a short-term disability policy at work, so I was allowed to you know, stay home and recover from this. I was 40 years old at the time, by the way, so not your typical age for cardiac events, although we are seeing more 40-something people having heart attacks in, in recent years, which is really concerning to me uh, because that's a lifetime of potential being on heart medication if you don't get off of the medications. It's, uh, so it's very concerning to me. But anyway, back to the 17 weeks off. And then after I got cleared to go back to work, I found out that the organization no longer wanted me. So they let me go. Let me remind you the time frame of this. This was 2009. It was right in the middle of the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And I was in Windsor, Ontario, across the border from Detroit. The auto sector was on its last legs. The government had to bail them out. Otherwise, GM and Chrysler for sure, and quite possibly Ford Motor Company, would have gone out of business because they were just bleeding water. 
uh, and it was a real big problem. And plus the mortgage situation and everything else was going on at that time. It was not a good time to be in an area where you know the recession was really hitting. And of course, the area I was living in was. There was no jobs to be found. And if there was, no one was going to be leaving those jobs. So it took me several months to find a new role and I ended up requiring a relocation to Toronto. Now, in the meantime, between you know November, it was actually it was October of um, 20, 2009 when I was let go. So from October until April, you know, I was looking for work. And when you're on unemployment, everyone knows you don't get as much money coming in as you normally do. On top of that, I was paying a thousand dollars a month for heart medication because I didn't have any drug coverage. It was a thousand dollars a month. So if that's not motivation enough for you to take care of yourself, uh, 12 grand a year for out of pocket for heart medication, Um, needless to say, you know, that impacts your ability to cover other bills. And I'd worked with all of our creditors and explained the situation with them. And they were all really kind and gracious of giving us a period of time where we didn't have to make payments. But unfortunately that time, did run out, and I, you know, I don't blame them at all because I know there was many people that were in s- similar financial difficulties, and you know they had only can do so much. Uh, but I finally found a role up in Toronto, and I was in the job for a couple of weeks. And on um, an afternoon, uh, around four o'clock, my oldest daughter at the time she was ten called, and she's crying, and I couldn't understand a thing she was saying. She was just so crying. And then finally, I was able to get from them that the bank had come and repossessed her family vehicle. Mm. When you don't make payments, the bank reserves the right to take back the asset. Again, not upset with the bank. Actually use that bank again to finance a vehicle years later. So um, I, don't, I have no ill will towards uh, that bank at all because... We made a deal, and I didn't live up to the deal, so you know they took the vehicle. Uh, then a couple of weeks later, we found a place up in Toronto to move the family because we were commuting. I was commuting up to Toronto. They were staying back in the Windsor area, uh, getting the house ready to sell. And we found a place to rent, so moved everything up and unpacked everything. And then we realized that we forgot the bunk bed ladder for our daughter's bed. Now, thankfully, my middle daughter... Um, was kind of a monkey when she was little. So she loved climbing on the top bunk anyway. So she said, I don't need a ladder. I'm like, let's get the ladder. So I was going back to uh, the Windsor in a little over a week to visit with family and friends. I said, well, I'll just swing by the house and and grab the ladder and anything else uh, before you know, it gets listed. Because it was supposed to get listed uh, just for sale in about another 10 days or so. So I had a good visit with my family went by the house to grab whatever we left behind. I opened up the screen door and I saw the biggest padlock I've ever seen in my life on the front door. Uh, You can't buy this lock at Home Depot. Uh, The only place that sells these or has access to these locks are banks and organizations that foreclose homes. And there was a small sticker on the door that said foreclosure. So basically in a year from May 2009 to May 2010, I had a heart attack that should have killed me. Lost my job during the Great Recession, family car repossessed, home foreclosed. And all of those things happened because I was burned out. My burnout created all of those scenarios. 
That's why after recovering from that, understanding how I burned out made the necessary adjustments in my life to make sure that I would never burn out again and all the other choices and behaviors and thoughts and beliefs that I had. Um, I started noticing that a lot more people were burning out. And this was, you know, several years ago. This is prior to the pandemic. I mean, the burnout that I'm seeing now with the pandemic is um, frightening, quite frankly. Uh, but my burnout created all those things. And if I would have taken better care of myself, taken breaks and not worked those long hours, ate better, was a little bit more active, none of those situations would have happened. But I didn't take care of myself. And ultimately, that's the bottom line for anything in life. When people are stressed and they're burned out, they have to take care of themselves because if they don't, you know, they could have their own year of worst case scenarios. And each one of those losses are huge. Come on, think about it. You have a heart attack or cancer diagnosis or some other significant chronic disease. Um, that's, that can be devastating to people. You know, losing your job is never fun, but then, you know, having a bank take away your vehicle and your home, um, those are all humongous losses, and I had them all happen to me in a year. Uh, again, in every, I was the cause of all of those things. Uh, my actions and behaviors created those scenarios. Mm -hmm. So I recovered from those. It took time, uh, but you know, and, and for me, not for everybody, not, you know, I don't want to scare people that are burned out thinking they're going to have to reinvent themselves completely, but I needed to, you know, in my situation, the way that I was conducting my life and going about things was not in the best interest for my long uh, tenure on planet earth. So I needed to make some significant changes in my life. And I did, and I'm thrilled for it. And Went even went back to the healthcare industry you know, for several years. Uh, my parents wanted to have me committed because they're like, wait a minute, you're going back to a job that nearly killed you? Yes, because I'm going to do it better this time. And they looked at me going, hmm, okay, where's your will? You know, let us know what we're supposed to do. But thankfully, you know, I, I was able to uh, lead you know, other healthcare organizations and I did it. A lot better. I had boundaries around when I worked. I had boundaries around how I took care of myself, and you know, even you know, to this day, you know, I have boundaries around how much I spend time on working and when I work and when I don't work, and it's made all the difference in the world for me. I mean, that's just a amazing story. And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you, and we're going to get into it about what you're seeing now with the state of the world that we're in and everything, but it's amazing. So basically you had a heart attack and you were just going for like a week almost before it was ever diagnosed it. Okay. You had a heart attack and you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, very lucky to be alive. It's even to this day, you know, the, and it could have been when I asked him if did I have two or did I have one, and and based on on the damage at the time to the heart, they they figured that it was the Thursday night one. So the first one could have been a real minor, you know, type of heart attack. But they said it really didn't look like it was based on what they could tell. But they said yeah, Thursday night was the doozy, and 
I said, you were very lucky because you could have had it when you're asleep. You could have stayed asleep. It could have done this and you would have been done. Um, but um, thankfully that didn't happen. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was surreal at first because you know, when I went into the hospital and they're hooking me up and they're testing things and all of that, yeah, I was, that was probably the calmest I had been in years. Mm. Of course, everyone around me was probably losing it. Uh, but I, I was calm, cool, collected. Okay. What do you want me to do next? Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was almost surreal. like your time out. You probably yeah. did it and you were like, oh, great. Yeah. I, I think, I think that was a, a big part of it. I thought, well, I'm here now. I can't do anything else. So might as well do whatever I need to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you know, so many people function like that. And it's funny and funny, but not funny. Me as a business owner, I have to put boundaries. I just started saying, okay, at X time, I'm cutting off of work. I don't care what's done, what's not done. I'm not because I would find myself working till one, two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, okay, this is not healthy. So what are you seeing today, especially with the pandemic and all the stressors that people have in life? And you said you're starting, you, you know the signs and you see it. What do you see and how can you help not only the companies, but individuals avoid going through what you went through? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on right now with this pandemic that are creating a ton of scenarios for people to burn out. There's a couple studies that have been done. NordVPN did a study uh, earlier this year that indicated Americans on average are working 20% more hours than before the pandemic. And the reason why they're working more is they traded their commute time for work time. You know, before we'd get up, get cleaned up, get our work clothes on, make coffee, have breakfast, drive to work or commute to work, get into the office, get situated, get our coffee or tea, sit down, start working, take our breaks, go to lunch, do some more work, and then eventually leave and then, you know, reverse, you know, back home. But what's happened since so many people uh, were working from home, they would get up in the morning and they would just start working. And congratulations, so many people became full-time school teachers as well. So they had to educate their kids. Of course, you know, there was in unison with what the schools were teaching, if there was a program or not, it really depends on where they were. But still, you have to make sure that your children are in front of the computer doing their schoolwork uh, and not off in the backyard playing or down the street riding their bike or whatever. Uh, so that, of course, is the same time of day that we typically work. So what had happened was, in many cases, a lot of parents had to say, okay, from this uh, this time to this time, I have to help my kids with their schoolwork, so I'm not going to be working, but I'll make up for it after work, after normal working hours. So that's when you start seeing you know people start working at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning and maybe... 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, And that's been going on. The challenge is people aren't taking breaks in between. They're not taking that lunch break. They're not getting up and taking a 15 minute break or getting away from their desk and going somewhere for lunch or anything like that. People are just kind of just working. 
And it's taking a toll. And even Monster.com did a survey indicating that 69% of employees surveyed are identified as having some type of burnout. So you've got almost 7 out of 10 people identifying as being burned out. So we have a pandemic within a pandemic if those statistics are true. And the problem with it is a lot of things are happening. Number one, so many people that are working from home or working remotely done it before. So they don't have access to the same things that they did when they were at work. They had to get everything configured, set up. Some may or may not have had a computer to work on at home. So all the nuances, another big concern of mine is how many of us are going to need physiotherapy once we go back to the office because we're working on our couches and our beds and dining room table, which is not ergonomic at all. So we're going to have a lot of shoulder and neck strain and potentially damage. So uh, our, our physio claims on our insurance policies are definitely going to go up because a lot of people aren't working in an ergonomic situation. Um, when they're at the office, you know, most situations are. Everyone's got the, the keyboards that lower and adjust and the chairs and everything like that. And uh, But at home, you know, our couches aren't ergonomic or our lazy boy chairs or dining room tables. Those aren't. Or even the islands, you know, the, you know, if we have an island in our kitchen or dining room, that's not ergonomic. Uh, so there's a lot of challenges with that. And, and other things, too, is just not having clear boundaries of when the workday should start and when it should end. Mm-hmm. So many people would be better off if they, you know, they took the first little bit of time that they used to commute and use that time just to take care of themselves. And I'm a big fan of self-care. And a lot of times people hear self-care, they think, okay, that's yoga, meditation. My my version of self-care is doing things you enjoy doing. That means drinking a cup of coffee or tea and and looking at, you know, sports scores from last night or reading entertainment news or reading a book or sitting out in your backyard, whatever the case may be. That's self-care. Those are things that you enjoy and love doing. People have not been doing a lot of that over the past few months because they, they think, well, we're in quarantine. If it's in your yard or your balcony or your patio, you can go outside, and you should. And because as long as the weather is you know, cooperating with you, but it's important to do those things. And I know a lot of people, you know, and I agree with them, there have been a lot of losses that so many of us have endured this year. But there's still things we can do, and we still can do, and those are the things we should do. Uh, that brings us joy and fulfillment in life. Don't kick those to the side, because that's where you get in trouble. And that's you know how I ended up where I did with my burnout business. I stopped doing things that I enjoyed doing. And when you go through life and you don't do things you enjoy doing, that doesn't make your life very fulfilling. And it tires you and it stresses you out. And prolonged stress leads to burnout. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually address this topic. And this just popped into my mind. But what advice do you have for the individual who's working from home and let's say their manager, supervisor, who 
the person who's going, well, they're working from home. So, you know, I need to have this kind of time from them and they have to make sure, you know, make sure that they're not, you know, slacking off because honestly, that's probably why a lot of people are, like you said, as soon as their feet hit the ground from bed, they're getting on computers and they're working and they're working into the wee hours because they have to prove that they are working. Right. Yeah, it's a big challenge. And I think it's, and I, I get really upset with organizations because they are associating this time situation with output and productivity instead of focusing on what are the deliverables you want your employees to deliver on? What are the projects, outcomes, creations, reports, any of those things? What do you need your employee to do? And get really crystal clear with that. Don't associate a time thing with it because so often there are so many people say, like, okay, our hours are 95. Okay. We, we've seen the studies, the productivity of the majority of us has been decreasing year after year after year to the point where you can be one of the most productive people around, but with the interruptions and the breaks and all the other stuff, an employee is giving you maybe three, three and a half hours a day of productivity. Okay. There's, but you want to make sure they're there for eight. Um, and it's, it, it's an antiquated old industrial way that needs to die. In my opinion, um, I will stand on the tallest soapbox and yell it. It needs to die. Henry Ford's been dead a long time and this industrial age crap needs to die too. It's a new way of doing things. And what we find is before this pandemic and people that were allowed to work remotely were more productive because they were able to focus on the work that they did and they were able to accomplish more in less time and do it in a way where it wasn't stressful. It didn't burn them out. The quality of the work improved because it gave them flexibility to work on it on their terms. I know many people that do great work, you know, between 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. I'm not one of those people, by the way. I'm a morning person. I tend to work earlier, and my productivity is definitely in the a.m., but that's what works for me, and everyone's different, but we're, it's that square peg, round hole type of situation where organizations are trying to do this, and, and those managers that, you know, are basically strangling their employees with 18,000 Zoom calls a day. What are you working on? What are you working on? Those are insecure managers. Those are managers that don't know what they're doing um, because they weren't trained. They, were, they weren't trained, just like CEOs, especially the new ones, you know, that struggle with things. They weren't trained. No one's done any training unless you do it yourself. Most organizations don't spend the time on true professional development. And it's, it's, it's coming to light with this situation. And that's why we're seeing all of these situations in organizations and burnout has been around long before this pandemic. Uh, I have a book that was published in 1980 titled burnout. Um, and it was, you know, I, Dr. I forget the author's name. Uh, it's up in my mind right now, but you know, I read that book and yes, some of it is dated. You can tell it was you know 40 years ago. Uh, but a lot of it I'm looking at is like this could be printed right now and would be completely applicable to what's going on right now. It's it's timeless, unfortunately. 
But managers, again, you know, have to, because they don't have confidence in how they manage, they feel, okay, I got to constantly micromanage. Well, I always ask people, do you trust your employees to do their job? And if you don't, then why did you hire them? Right. Get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, they're a really good employee. But you don't trust them to do their job? Give them, as a manager and a leader, you give clear instructions on what deliverables and outputs and outcomes you want your employees to accomplish. Give them clear guidance and instructions. Make sure they have all the tools necessary for them to do their job successfully. And then get out of their way. Be there if you need them. Check in occasionally, but let them do their job. The quality of work will improve. They'll be able to do the things that they need to do because we all have things that we need to do, especially for a caregiver or a full-time parent or whatever the case may be. There's other things in there. And a colleague of mine you know, said this a couple of weeks ago. This is an opportunity. This pandemic is creating an opportunity for what she called the great reset mm. because the way things were working weren't working and it's you know just like we saw the industrial revolution and things there's potential that we could see something with this as well but it's going to take it's going to take a lot of effort it's going to take a lot of courage from people to say no this is what how we want to do things and organizations need to look at the cost of burnout because they've ignored it for the longest time, but they're about to see the cost of burnout starting next year. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why uh, another colleague of mine works in the insurance industry. So ties with all the big insurance organizations uh, across the globe. And those insurance organizations are seeing a considerable spike in mental health claims. Mm. And for those that aren't familiar with insurance, you have a policy and basically this policy is written and the hope from the insurance company is that your claims do not exceed the cost of the policy that they have for them. So that's why when you see renewal time, you know, most, most employees won't see this, but management and upper management get to see this where they'll say, okay, for your mental health claim or for your physical claims and you know health claims you had 140 percent claims so basically the insurance company paid more than they kind of took in from you so that's why they raised the rates because insurance company don't like paying more and they just don't so that means premiums next year will go up the premiums for so many organizations i anticipate are going to go way up next year because the mental health claims of people going out on mental leave and stick leave and all of that are skyrocketing because of this pandemic, the workloads and everything else. So the problem with burnout sometimes is that it doesn't show up on the bottom line in the financial statement. Well, if their insurance claims are skyrocketing, it's going to show up on the financial statement and the organizations, auditors, investors, if it's a public company, your stockholders, your shareholders are going to be asking, why did our insurance go way up? And then as an owner or a CEO, you're going to have to say, we had a significant spike in mental health claims. Um, 
yeah, CEO better update resume dot doc because they're likely going to be let go because all of that happened under their watch. Mm. So getting back to your original question, managers got to let people do their work. Employees need to communicate with their managers and hopefully there's been a communication path before this pandemic of what's working and what's not. And I know for so many employees, that's not a comfortable conversation because right now a lot of people are afraid to lose their job. Right. I know, what it's, I know what it's like to lose a job and lose everything else too. It's not fun. It's scary. I get it. Believe me, I do. But you have to take care of yourself first. We've delegated our self-care and our well-being and who quote-unquote takes care of us to our employers. And we, that's why there's, you see, especially in the past few years, so many people wanting to launch their own business. It's yes. They like the flexibility and Hey, I own my own business. That's, that's great. But a lot of it comes down to, they just cannot stand working for an organization that burns them out. Mm-hmm. And so have communications with your boss and your boss's boss, if need be an HR and, and come up with a way that works best. And every employer should hopefully be looking at this and saying, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that our employees well-being is being maintained during this time? Because the great organizations are, right. you know, they're checking in and they, and they're not trying to do business as usual. They're just, doing what needs to be done and, and allowing things to happen and, and prioritize your self-care. Make sure you get plenty of sleep every night and eat as healthy as you can. I always recommend people work with a nutritionist or a dietitian because each of us have different food intolerances that we don't know about it. And there are certain foods that are better for us than others that give us all the nutrients that we need to have natural energy and make sure that our gut bacteria is working properly because if you've got you know, gut problems, that impacts your sleep and your digestive system. If it's not operating, then your body's energy is going to address that, which means it can't address the stress. So the stress builds up, gets prolonged. Congratulations, you're burned out. And so it, we, are very, we forget how interconnected we are uh, with all the things that happen in our life from what we eat to what we consume, how we sleep. Um, the relationships we have, they all add in to uh, our situation and how stressed or not, or how not stressed we are in life. And if we can take back control of our lives and, and control it a little bit better, it goes a long way to keep that stress at bay. I love everything you're saying because it's so true. Stress and burnout go hand in hand. And like you were saying, your friend was saying, this should be the great reset. I'm hoping so, but you look at some of these businesses and I've had the managers in the past and I'm pretty sure you have too. And when you were talking about how they want to hold a meeting every five minutes and then they're, you know, asking, I had a manager that when I first started my career out of college, he actually came to me. Well, one day I, I left my desk and I came back, there was a note on my chair saying, oh, I've been looking for you for five minutes. And I'm like, I went to the bathroom. But then you have these managers that, you know, he was like, oh, well, you pack up five minutes before it's time for you to leave. I'm thinking, I've done my job for today. It's like, is that five minutes going to kill you? But you have these 
clock watchers like that. And when you said, oh, those managers are insecure, I'm thinking, exactly. That's exactly what they are. And those are the type of managers that lead to stress, which lead to burnout, which what you were saying leads to people saying, you know what? I can work for myself and I don't have to put up with this. Yeah. And my hope with this great reset is those bad managers, the spotlight is shined on them and the organizations look at it and realize, okay, we have to do some work on these people. One, hopefully they can learn different management techniques and also deal with whatever they have going on within themselves that's leading to this lack of confidence. Because we've heard the phrase, people don't leave companies, they leave their managers. And a great boss of mine from 20-something years ago, Rick Elert, my first day working uh, in the IT department for the organization we were working at, it was around 3.30 on my first day. So he came by, leaned over the cubicle wall, and I said, look, I don't care when you get here. I don't care when you leave. As long as you get your job done, everything's good. And and that was beautiful because it allowed me to have the control of, you know, when I'd come in and when I'd go, I'd make sure my work was done. And there were days that I worked later. And there were days that, you know, I'd leave a little early depending on my commute because I had a long commute at that point. So I'd come in a little bit earlier and then leave a little earlier to try to you know, shorten up the commute a little bit. But it was one of those things where he said, look, I hired you. I trust you to do the job. And you know, I had bonuses in that organization. He allowed me to work remotely for a bit when, uh, if anybody's listening, used to work there. Um, he wasn't letting everybody work remotely. So I'm guessing they Hey, that was, you know, two decades ago, statute of limitations, you know, tough, but he, he just an incredible boss and he was young. He was not an old veteran by that point. I I hate to do the math on it now. He probably is now, which is kind of alarming, but uh, that's how, that's how time works. But it gave me that permission to do my work and I had the autonomy and I checked with him. I kept him updated on things and, I had an absolute blast working that organization and it was a startup organization as well. So there was a lot of growth pains, you know, there was a lot of growth and then laying people off and we get new funding and bring some new people in and back forth, back forth. So, you know, a lot of colleagues that you loved working for, you lost their jobs. I was able to navigate and and keep my role until, you know, I left the organization uh, after a few years. But again, I've had great bosses and I've had bosses similar to you weren't here, you know, when I stopped by, where were you? I'm like, um, is this elementary school? Did I forget my, did I forget my hall pass? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, am I have to go to the principal's office now? Yeah. So it's that, that, that's no way to manage or lead. And it, it just, it creates resentment. It creates, quite frankly, it creates lousy products and services that us as consumers have to deal with. Products and services would be better if employees were happier and healthier and they had decent management to allow them to work in their sweet spot and and do their great work without the meddling. And as a society, again, we don't demand it because we don't necessarily see it, but 
we should because we hear story after story of bad managers. You know, it's every bar and nightclub has stories of people talking about their bad manager. So it's not like it's a new concept, but I think as a society, we need to unite and figure out what do we do with these bad managers? One, train them so they're not bad managers. And if that doesn't work, then they need to find a different type of role uh, because they're obviously not suited for it. And, but there are great managers out there. I've had the fortune to uh, work with many of them uh, from based on the feedback I've received from people that have worked for me over the years. I'm one of those great managers because I, I completely stole the, the way of managing from the great managers that I had. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the way that you do it. I mean, I'm so glad that you are talking about this topic and I see you're an author and you're a speaker. And is this what you speak about when you go into companies um, to help them in your book? I know you have a book that's, what, 369? Tell us about that book. Yep. Yeah, 369 Days, How to Survive Your Worst Case Scenarios is, uh, it talks about my my year of worst case scenarios that, you know, from the heart attack to the job loss and the car and the house, you know, it gives a little background information on me as well. Um, and the best way to describe it is it's a humorous book. It's a very light book. And a lot of people say, how can you make a year of those losses lighthearted? I was able to, because that's how I look at it now. Was I you know, happy go lucky and, smiling from ear to ear while I was going through it? No. But um, I think, and people ask me, how were you able to persevere through all of those losses? And the only way I could describe it, and it's kind of a Midwest thing, and I know you get it because you're from Chicago, and in Detroit is the same thing, where uh, in Detroit, there's uh, Joe Lewis's fist is downtown. There's a statue of his fist. And I actually have a 3D small uh, fist statue. Um, And I paid a stupid amount of money for it, but I wanted it because it reminds me of what it's like to be from that area. You get knocked down, you get back up. And that's how I was. I'm like, okay, this knocked me down. It didn't knock me out. So what do I need to do to recover from this? And what's the next thing I need to do? And that's been my mantra throughout. So yeah, that's yeah, that's what the book's about. I've got a brand new book coming out. Uh, it'll probably be in early 2021, um, just based on the timing of things. I, I just just got the ISBN numbers and the Library of Congress number today, so it's um, we're we're moving forward on it. Um, it's the the title of that book is Burnout Proof, and it's it's several chapters on how to make your life burnout proof. It was almost ready to go at the beginning of this year, but then the pandemic hit. And I'm like, well, let me wait. And I'm glad I did because I, I went back and added a working from home burnout chapter on things to do to help uh, prevent you know, burnout from working from home, which is achievable. Uh, there are people that are doing it. So that book will be out uh, towards the end of the year, but I'm guessing probably early 2021. Uh, but yeah, to answer your other question, yes, I when I talk at conferences and speak in front of organizations, talk about you know burnout, you know burnout, how to prevent burnout in your organization starts from the top. You know, leaders are the ones that set the tone for the organization. So, if your leader isn't 
walking the walk and is living a life of 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. Your employees think that's how you're supposed to behave, so they're doing it too. So you have to start from the top and have it flow through. It's like, no, you don't need to do that. Uh, any organization that thinks they need to do that, they need to take a really long, hard look at themselves because it's not sustainable. Uh, you're going to kill your key people or they're going to leave and your products and services are going to suffer. You lose clients. Your business will be in trouble. And uh, as as we know, um, especially with this pandemic, you know, the, the strong ones are the ones that are able to be agile and pivot and adjust accordingly. The ones that are rigid and say, no, we have to have these 18,000 Zoom calls. Those are the organizations that in all likelihood will be in trouble uh, going down the road. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because there's so many organizations out there who think that the employee who works 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., oh, they're a great employee. I remember working for this this company and this woman who was supposed, supposed to be my mentor and kind of help me train, get onboarded on a job, which she didn't. But she would like she she bragged about sleeping in the parking garage. And I was like, hmm? And Mm. at the time, she and I had children that were like just a year or so apart. And she lived like two hours away from the office. Her parents Mm. lived right there with her. So the parents took care of her child. But here I was, a single mother. And I had to tell my boss, I said, look, I don't know what you're expecting. Everybody thinks she's so great because, you know, she's here at the crack of dawn. She leaves at, you know, night or she'll sleep in the parking garage. I'm not going to do that. So if that's what you're going to base my performance off of, I'm just letting you know right now, I'm not doing that. And it's just so funny because people think that they, oh, well, they wrote a 500 page paper. That's great. Oh, they work every day, you know, 12 hours a day. Yeah, but they don't see their kids. They're not at home. That's not great. But people think it is. Yeah, and it's it's completely misguided, and I, I'm hoping the society is going to recognize the need for a more harmonious work-life arrangement. I, I never believe in work-life balance. Uh, balance is a myth. You harmonize things, but you have to do it in such a way where you don't live to work, you work to live. You use work as an opportunity to create the opportunities and the things that you want to do in life. And you know, real quick story, one of the things that I recognized is every year, you know, when my kids were in school, I would go on at least one field trip uh, for all of them, you know, three kids. So every one of them, I would go to a field trip. I would take time off of work and go spend the day at the field trip. And the majority of the time, I was the only dad there. Mm-hmm. You know, all all the moms were looking at me like I was this weird alien species, and like, what are you doing here? Yeah, and so I and I told them, I said, I and I hope I hope I didn't ruin anybody's evenings when I said this. But I said I find it important to at least do this at least once a year mm-hmm. uh, with my kids. It was important to me. I took the time off. I made sure that my employer knew I was taking time off to go do a field trip. Uh, it was important to me. It was a line in the sand. And I think, again, with this great reset, and it's, we'll see how it goes, but 
there's such an imbalance right now between the employer and the employee. Um, and it's more than a paycheck kind of thing. It's, it's significant in some organizations where there's a fear. I'm afraid to lose my job. I have to have this job so I can keep my car payment, my mortgage, and all those things that I lost. I get it. I know what that feels like. Um, so you, you, you end up sticking it out in a bad situation, which takes a toll on you. And you too could learn what, uh, or how many milligrams Covercil comes in, you know, two, four, two, four and eight, I believe is the doses. They may have upgraded it. I don't take it anymore. That's probably one of the, the news stories about it is I'm not on any heart medication anymore. Um, I improved my life. I've used proper diet and nutrition and, um, you know, use you know, supplements that you know, keep my heart healthy and cholesterol uh, in check and blood pressure is non-existent. Well, I have blood pressure, thankfully. Otherwise, I'd be wouldn't be talking to you right now. But, uh, but it's in control. It's not you know going crazy because uh, I didn't want to take heart medication anymore. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to not take this stuff? Because I I did not want to be looking at 40, 50, 60 years potentially of being on heart medication. I wasn't down with that. I wasn't happy I was on it in the first place. I was thankful for it to get me to a point where I could start doing the things I needed to do. But I don't want that for people. And there's so many people right now that are rapidly approaching that. And the chronic diseases that we see in the United States continue to increase and diabetes is out of control. Then you hear about drug companies having to recall, you know, one of the top diabetes medications because they discovered, oh, wow, this could cause cancer. Great. So here you are with one chronic disease and take this medication to help keep you alive and it gives you another another disease. Um, great stuff. Uh, you don't want that and it can be prevented. And actually 20, I think the number is 26 of the chronic diseases that exist. Stress is a common element and cause for those chronic diseases to come into play. I absolutely believe that yeah so well the, when i worked in primary care the majority of the cases and even right now um, i'm not in the field anymore but colleagues that i know that are still in it so the majority of the cases that they're seeing right now are stress related and stress causes your body to break down and when your body breaks down and it's not doing what it's supposed to do then you open yourself up to chronic diseases oh and stress too can lower your immunity. If your immune system is lowered, there's this pandemic going on right now with a very contagious situation called COVID-19. Your stress could actually open you up to catch it when you normally wouldn't have. So it's it's not something you want to ignore. You, you want to get ahead of it. There's ways to do it, um, but it's all about prioritizing your well-being first, and you have to do that. You know, on the airplanes, if we all remember what airplanes were, these devices that went up in the air and took us from one destination to another destination a lot quicker than driving. Um, although with checking through security and things like that, that Detroit to Chicago, which is a five-hour drive, uh, get to the airport two hours early. There, there, yeah, it's it's yeah, a push. It's close. <laughs> it's close. Yeah, it's 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 coin toss. Um, but re they remember you. Know, Put on your oxygen mask first. Mm. That is a well-being. That is a self-care component. That is, you need to take care of yourself first. 
you do that, then you're going to be healthy and you're going to be more productive. You're going to be a better employee. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better spouse. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be better in everything in life because you are full. You're, you're energized. You're, you're really healthy and it makes such a big difference. So that's my hope for everybody is to take back control of their life and live their life uh, the way that they want to live it. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm happy. I'm ecstatic that you're talking about this because like I told you at the beginning, I've never heard anyone talk about this, but it, it is real and people don't want to face it. I mean, that's why we have suicide and things like that going on because people get to a point where they're like, okay, I just can't take anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I love it. And we could talk about this all day, but we're going to go into the questions and you're familiar with the show. Mm-hmm. I have my questions at the end that every guest has to answer. So we're going to get into them. Are, are you ready? Good. Let's do it. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Who or what motivates me? I've thought about this and I had an answer and I think I'm going to change it, um, which I can. Um, It's one of the things the guests get to do. Uh, For me, knowing that I, that my experience and the challenges that I've had in life can be used in such a way to help people live their ideal life is a gift and I am motivated and I feel an obligation to do it again within having boundaries, not giving myself up too much because making somebody else better at my own detriment is not something I want to do. That's what they call people pleasing and you don't want to do that. Mm. What demotivates you? Oh, um, Political nonsense from every party. Um, I'm not going to pick on any of them. I'm going to pick on all of them. Um, and you know, if there's hidden agendas, especially around this pandemic, I think there's been some misfires on how things have been handled. I won't go into any details on it, but I think there's been some things that have been handled at you know all mm. all levels of government, every state, federal, you know, local, you know, and everything everywhere in between. Uh, and it, it, it upsets me because I know those decisions are impacting lives in such a humongous way that, you know, some may never recover. And it's, it's just tragic. Mm. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? I think probably there's been several. Uh, but I think the one that, that jumps out at me at the most was uh, when I was accused of something that I did not do and the organization decided to go ahead and be, you know, part my ways and basically show me the door because I ended up finding a much better situation that just really had my career take off. And I'm so thankful for that. It, it hurt, of course, but it, it made a big difference and, and it also made sure that I had clarity around things to make sure that my behavior was completely on the up and up. And I never would even remotely get thrown into that type of situation again. What is your fear? My fear, and that can change from time to time. Um, my fear right now in 2020 is you know, more people fall victim to this burnout situation and 
have their lives completely devastated and and not be able to recover from it that that scares me that's why i talk uh, about this and try to bring awareness to it to give people back the control that they can take over their lives and 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 live an ideal life that's free from burnout is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't just one yeah there you go yes uh, just one um, I think launching this business, um, I, I, I don't think I was ready to do the burnout work um, until, you know, within the last five years or so. And I wish I would have, I wish I would have launched it, quite frankly, when I was going through, you know, the rebuilding stages of my life, because I think there were some lost opportunities to be really transparent, to show people, okay, this is what it looks like going through this uh, to give people courage. If they do need to reinvent some portions of their life, they could have seen it in real time. Mm-hmm. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Oh, never. <laughs> um, no, you know, young, foolish stuff uh, and, you know, nothing that would you know get me jail time or anything like that. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, saying things, hurtful things to somebody and not really thinking through about it and in really hurting a relationship. Um, yeah, I, I regret that for sure. What is your definition of success? To do what you want, where you want and when you want. Mm, Sums it up. So Mr. Burnout chief, how do you recharge? I recharge by, and I have a calendar trick that I use. It's not really a trick, but it's something that I did years ago. And a good colleague of mine tipped me off on an amendment to it is I schedule everything. I schedule my self-care time, my work time, email time, rest time, all of that. So it's, it's scheduled. And, and she told me a couple of years ago, she said, I want you to go into your calendar and I want you to color code all of your self-care time and the stuff that's good for you and healthy for you and your me time, basically. Mm-hmm. Color it your favorite color. Mm-hmm. And you can do this on a digital calendar or a paper one. You can use a highlighter if you use a paper one. So but schedule everything and, and do your favorite color. Then that way, when you look back at your last week or your last month or the last quarter, if you don't see a lot of your favorite color, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And for me... I recharge by making sure that I have blocked off every day uh, my calendar uh, with, you know, me time basically. And I have themes for all of my days. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, on Mondays, because I speak publicly, I do a lot of research on speaking engagements and, and you know, follow up with event planners and whatnot. Tuesdays are my intro calls and, uh, follow-up phone calls with whomever. Uh, Wednesdays, I, I tend to do for my podcast show. Uh, and if I'm on other shows, I, I book them on those days, typically, unless, you know, there's other days. Then, you know, I, the nice thing about controlling your own calendar, you can do things when you want to. But, though you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are clear-cut. And then Thursdays and Fridays, I block off way in advance. And the reason why I do that, and, you know, I typically start off with just having them all blue. Uh, but 
what I do is I use those days in case something comes up that is important. Like, you know what? I really want to do this, or I think it's beneficial, or a client needs this, or a speaking opportunity, or whatnot. Those days are blocked off as nothing's on them right now. So I can put something on them. Of course, I keep it in check and make sure that I don't overload myself. But by doing that, someone says, you know, can we have a connection call about a speaking opportunity or client work? And I can look at my calendar and say, how's Thursday at 1.30 or how's Thursday at 10.30 mm-hmm. or Friday at this? Because it's not loaded up. And they go, wow, you're making time for me this week? And I say, yeah, it's important. I want to be able to you know, get to this because I know it's something you're dealing with and you want to get this moving along if we can. So it, by doing that for me, uh, is made a huge difference in being able to accomplish a lot, but still keep it within check. And and also, I you know I make sure that I, I I'm not going to say I, I don't work weekends. Of course, I do. I you own a business, but I do it very sparingly. And you know, it's very light. And there's usually a sporting event on my computer while I'm doing that work. So I'm listening to the game or watching the game and and doing something, but. Um, but I keep it very, very light. I like that. I'm going to steal that the color. There you go. For your personal um, self-care. I like that. Yep. What and also, you know, for meetings and things like that, you color it a different color. And then if you see too much uh, red, for example, if your meetings are red, then you realize, whoa, I got to cut back on all these meetings because there's too much of it. It works. It works wonders. It's been a game changer for me. What are you awesome at? Time, um, you know, t- I, I, you can't manage time. You can navigate through it. But keeping pretty close to how I structure things has helped me be really productive without burning out. And it took time. It wasn't a, something that I went, okay, boom, I'm just going to do this, and here it goes. It was a lot of reflection and understanding where my energy flow is and what days work better for me to do certain things. Because I found that. Some days of the week are just a disaster if I'm trying to do something that is tactical. It's just not going to work for a variety of reasons. And just like afternoons, I don't try to do heavy tasks in the afternoon. In the morning, you know, load me up. I I say that tongue in cheek. Don't burn me out. But it wouldn't be good PR for the burnout guy to burn out. It's not good. It it would be a fun story, but then that would be it and it would be done. I was like, we're not taking any advice from you. You burned out again after you were doing burnt. No, it's not going to work. So uh, it's just being able to, you know, structure my time and, and, and to look at it and look ahead in the future and go, okay, what's my week look like next week? Or even, you know, today I looked at, you know, my calendar for the rest of the week and going, okay, is there, does anything feel heavier than it should be? And, you know, shift things around and, or say, oh, we got a cancellation. Okay, what am I going to do with that cancellation? I'm filling it with my favorite color and not filling it with something else. Um, those are opportunities that you can go, okay, I'm going to take that breather there and do something or do nothing. You know, it's it helps. So I think that's probably one of my greatest strengths and uh, that I love doing. Mm. What legacy do you want to leave? Uh, in an ideal world, you know, one of the champions that eradicated burnout in the workplace would be absolutely amazing. Um, I'll, I'll settle for 
you know, having several workplaces and, and thousands of people recover and prevent burnout again in their lives. I mean, that would be amazing. Uh, and I know I've impacted many lives. I don't have a counter or keeping track of them. I know I, that I hear a lot from people, you know, from you know, little tidbits like color coding the calendar. Mm-hmm. It's the, it, a lot of people think, you know, overcoming burnout is a huge, huge thing to do. For many, it won't be. It's simple adjustments that are that seem simple, hard to implement because we're we're habit people. We like habits, and it's tough to make changes in our lives. Uh, but when we do it, it, makes all the difference in the world. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Take care of yourself first. Schedule me time. A lot of it. Um, work will find time on your calendar. I promise you. Don't worry. It will find it. But schedule your me time, your self-care time, your wellness time first. And don't don't shift it around. Don't reschedule it. Don't cancel it because you won't be able to fill it back up again. Uh, so book that stuff first, and then the work stuff will fill in the gaps. Mm. Now, Michael... Before we go on for you to tell the listeners how they can connect with you and work with you, we didn't get a chance to touch on your podcast. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, the Breakfast Leadership Show. I launched it in February of 2017. Uh, Interview some amazing thought leaders across the globe on small business tips. A lot of talk about burnout and some of their burnout stories. Uh, but my audience is mostly small business owners and C-suite and, and people of all walks of life, they're looking for you know, tips and inspiration of people that have gone on to do great things and you know, hearing their backstory and the struggles and how they were able to overcome. And that's where we've all been through that. Everyone has had challenges and struggles that we've overcome. My story, while it sounds huge and for me it was you know there are many people out there that have had stories that are even uh, zanier for a lack of a better term than what i've gone through and they've overcome and i think that's something we need to remind ourselves especially right now is this too shall pass Uh, we will get through it it's key to just make sure that we're taking the best care of ourselves right now any way we can Um, So when all of this pandemic stuff is behind us and whatever the next normal looks like, we're going to be in much better shape than we were going into it. Mm. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you if they want you for a speaking engagement, how they can get your books, all of that. Yep, my books are on Amazon. You can find them there. Uh, it's Prime Day, apparently, on the day that this is being recorded. So um, I don't think it's on sale. It might be. I don't know. I didn't look at. I didn't look at my book. I, if I need to look at my book, I turn around on the bookshelf and go, oh, "There's my book." Um, as far as uh, finding me, otherwise, uh, breakfastleadership.com is my website. Uh, there's uh, down at the bottom. There's a way you can send me a message down there, or my email is michael at breakfastleadership.com. On all the social media platforms under the letter B and then fast leadership. Or if you look up hashtag breakfast leadership, you'll find me on all the social media channels that way. All right, Michael. Well, thank you for such an amazing and inspiring conversation. I mean, your story was just amazing. And and 
really led to people hopefully opening their eyes and seeing how they can take care of themselves better so that they don't end up in burnout. But I thank you for coming on to Trina Talk and sharing that story with us. Thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. If you like Trina Talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.